Colossians is where we are. I said last week that we were going to finish it, and I lied because I'm long-winded. So this week we're going to try and finish it. Colossians 3, verse 22 is where we're picking up the conversation. And just by way of reminder, remember, Paul is... There's a, there's a reason why Paul is writing to this church. And more than likely, it's because of this man, Anisimus, who is a slave of Philemon. And next week, we're going to read Paul's letter to Philemon. So Anisimus is part of this community. And Paul is sending Anisimus back to Philemon. So he has a reason to send a letter to this community, there's people already going. So as part of that, he's, you can tell he just has this desire to encourage the church that's there in Colossae. You can tell that he has relationships in this community. There's a question of whether or not he ever was physically there. Um, but that's neither here nor there. He's encouraging them in regards to Jesus Christ. He's heard about their faith from Epaphras. He's communicated all these things. He's praying for this congregation. He's elevating Jesus constantly throughout this letter. And this is, this is my expression of um, just worship this morning. Uh, that, that, like people sat down and intentionally wrote those songs and those lyrics, right? Paul is sitting down and intentionally writing this letter as the Spirit is moving upon him to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ. We've intentionally entered into this room to worship God together, to open up his word, to know our God, to understand him. We've intentionally come here to pursue our relationships with one another as brothers and sisters. And in all of those relationships and all of that intention, what are we doing on purpose? Lifting God up to where he belongs. He created the heavens and the earth. That, that precious child, again, like, we're all that precious. You were all made on purpose with intention. You were all made to image him for all eternity. He has chased you. He has pursued you. He has saved you. And as he has revealed himself, does God um, make himself small in your life, or does he make himself huge? He's everything. Who is this God that can create? Who is this God that sustains? Who is this God that can become like us? Who is this God and what is the power that the grave is empty? High, sovereign, perfect, holy, gracious, loving, patient, powerful, in control, always. Big. And that's what Paul's encouraging the Colossians about. Now, with your relationship with God, we also have relationships with others, right? So last week, we really pressed into those family relationships of wives and husbands and, and children and fathers. Now we're moving on to other relationships. So today's really the fellow's message. So because I only got through four verses last week, I changed the title last week to family. And now we'll deal with those fellows, those people that we do life together with. So immediate context is in our relationship with Jesus, that pr those primary relationships that we have is between spouses and then parents with their children. But now the, those other people that we spend the most amount of time in our life with are who? Typically our coworkers. So now he begins bondservants and masters. Now, we have to pause on bondservants immediately because Paul is writing to a culture that is 2,000 years removed from our culture. This is a community where the Roman Empire as a whole, roughly 15 to 20% slaves. Human beings that are owned by other human beings. And the reasons for slavery were very diverse. Most often, more often than not, uh, somebody would become a slave as a prisoner of war and all the horror that goes along with that. The other predominant way that, an, uh, that a human being became a slave in this culture is by being born into it. That child is not the property of the parents. That child is now the property of the slave owner, of the master in, in this culture. 
Another way that you became a slave is if you were a criminal or if you were in debt. So th this isn't a prison system. Paul has a, Paul's in chains, right? He's, in, he's not in a prison cell. He's a, under house arrest. He's chained to a guard awaiting his Roman trial. But typically, after, after the trial, I mean, you don't get sent off to prison. You may get sold as a slave to pay off your debt. Same thing if you find yourself in debt. You could sell yourself to pay off that debt. So again, as we sit in this idea of bond servants this morning, last week, well, a couple weeks ago, look back in chapter 3, verse Oh, 10. It says, We have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ, the all and in all. So here earlier on, Paul's saying there's, there's no longer slave or free, and now he's talking to slave people and free people. So what's up with that? So here's, here's the reality. In Christ, there is no distinction. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we are one in him, period. There's not slave, there's not free, there's not male, there's not female. There's no distinctions. We are one, united perfectly in him. Yet the reality is, is even as we talked about last week, there's all, there's all these roles. There's roles in families. You don't lose those distinctions in family relationships. There's roles in society and business. There's, uh, there's, those roles continue on. So even as Paul says there's no longer uh, uh, Jew or Gentile, there's no longer uncircumcised or circumcised. In a minute, when we get to it at the end of this letter, he, he divides Here's my Jewish brothers versus my Gentile brothers. So there's still those distinctions, and those distinctions are still important. But as he is writing to slaves, so this word for there's neither slave nor free up above, and where he says bond servants here, it's the exact same word in the Greek. And there's a difference metaphorically and in the imagery that we have in regards to what it means to be a slave of Christ, to be in service to Christ, because we have that cultural picture that gives us that, that imagery for that aspect of our relationship with Jesus. But as Paul is using this term, he is talking to human beings who were owned by other human beings. They have no rights. I mentioned last week, again, in this culture, a runaway slave could be executed, and there was a legal process associated with it. But the law in this time pretty much said an owner, you can't just randomly kill your slave. There's, there's laws associated with that. An owner could not just, you could beat your slave, but if you maimed him, if you knocked out your eye, again, you couldn't maim them, but everything else is open. Really uncomfortable, right? We're totally removed from this culture. Our culture, we have our own history in regards to slavery, which images this in some ways, in other ways, that it was completely different. But here we sit, we have to apply this in our culture, in our time. So really we're gonna sit in this in regards to an employee-employer relationship. If you have a mortgage, if you have, uh, you know, any kind of debt whatsoever, you know, you're a slave to that debt, right? Your, your, your possessions are owns that, like, if you don't pay off your mortgage, somebody can come and take your house from you, kick you out, and sell your home to pay back that debt. Somebody else owns it until it's paid off. We can see that imagery a little bit in our culture. When it comes to being a, an employee, we are subjected to what our employers tell us to do, yet at the same time in our culture, we have the freedom, like if we don't like our employer, if they're telling us to do things that we're not supposed to do or don't wanna do, what can we do? Leave, go find another job. That wasn't this culture, you couldn't just pick up and leave, right? You're locked into it. And here's the reality is that as you deal with the body of Christ, so as Paul is writing a letter to the church, he's writing to individuals who responded to Jesus Christ who were owned by their brother and sister in Christ. Is that messed up? That'd be super weird. You sit in early church history, there's, there's many times where those roles got flipped in the congregation, where the slave had the authority and the leadership within the congregation and the master was underneath the slave as the body of Christ gathered together. 
And then once they left that church gathering, the roles immediately flip back to now the master is the master of the household and, and job and those kinds of things, and the slave is now the slave. So with all that as background, here's Paul's instructions for human beings who are owned by other human beings. Obey in all things your masters, your lords, according to the flesh, not with eye service or men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, do it with all your soul, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Man, my eyes are wigging out. For you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Masters, give to your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So even last week, is, is Paul is addressing those roles in marriage and in a family unit. All of it, it's as fitting to the Lord. Um, children do this because it's well-pleasing to the Lord. So same thing with both bondservants and masters, these roles in the culture. Whatever you're doing, do it all for the Lord, in the Lord, by the Lord. Again, Jesus being in that perfect high position that he belongs in all of our lives. But listen to this. Back up to verse 22. Obedience. This is doing what you're told. It's following instruction that we address. It's the same word for children in regards to obeying your parents. Bond servants, obey in all things these, these lords according to the flesh. So in your culture, in your structure, but here's the idea, not with eye service. And what that means is that we all have people who were over us in our life in some fashion. This can be a teacher, this can be your employer, and the idea is not serving other human beings with eye service. It means you're only doing what you're supposed to do when their eye is on you. So you're serving, you're slaving, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing when other people's eyes are upon you because it's all about you. It's about your performance, it's about your wants, it's about, it's all, everything's about you, but then when those eyes are off of you, then the real you comes out. And again, this is, this is where we've already been instructed, here's all the things that need to be cut off and taken off of our life. Here's all the things that need to be put on in Jesus Christ. Here's your relationship. Now, here's how this plays out in a primary relationship, because more of, most of us are working for somebody else. And the heart behind it is examine your own heart and your own behavior. Why, do you, why are you doing what you're doing? The work that you do, why do you do it? Who are you doing it for? And you know, we, we all have to sit in this because attention is always on self. I think about me in all circumstances, and I have to give me to the Lord in the midst of those circumstances and try and listen to God. But here, like in the midst of COVID, three out of, well, yeah, three out of five days of the week, I'm here in my office all by myself with nobody's eyes on me. The other two days a week, I go into my office, and still nobody's eyes are on me because 90% of the staff isn't even there. I'm rarely around those who have immediate supervision over me. And if I only do my job when their eyes are upon me, especially here in the midst of COVID, I wouldn't be doing anything in my job. I would already be fired and I'd be living in your basement. John, do you have a basement? No. <laughs> but listen, listen to the heart that Paul is communicating. Listen to the heart that we need to seek after. You have people who are watching you. Who cares? Because whose eyes are always on you? Jesus. He sees you all the time. 
and he loves you and he cares for you and he's changing you and he's transforming you. You are never alone. You're never in the fire by yourself. You're never in your office all alone. You're never in your home all by yourself. He is always there and he is attentive to you in all things. So in whatever it is that you find yourself doing, especially when it comes to employment, the encouragement is don't only do what you're doing to be pleasant to somebody else's eyes to impress them, to be a man-pleaser, which, I mean, it's, it's the direct translation of the Greek words. Your behaviors are to please other people. Don't worry about them because you can give your 100% effort and somebody can still be completely and totally dissatisfied with your work and your energy. Have you ever felt that way? You're giving it all and your all just isn't enough for that person. That's a miserable position to be in. I want to give up my all, and I leave the results to the Lord. Nobody else gets to define me. They don't get to define my mood. They don't get to define my relationship with the Lord. Now, I struggle with those things. I want people to be pleased with my performance. I have to sit in my employer reviews. I have to have goals every single year. I have to be aiming for those goals. Um, my employer needs insight into what I'm performing, what I'm doing, where I need help, where I'm weak, where I'm strong, right? There's all those real dynamics. Of course, I am performing for the benefit of other human beings. It's the nature of every single one of our jobs. Yet, let the motive, that, that's your heart, your mind, your psyche, your soul. Let it be because of Jesus. My service, my seek to pleasing other people, let it be in the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. In the fear of God, simplicity, I'm, I'm a real simple guy. Like if you want to trick me through like, uh, you know, hidden motives and that kind of stuff, like I don't, I don't get it. I, just, I don't have that kind of discernment. It's not how my mind processes. There's a whole bunch of human beings where it, there's all these hidden motivations. What they do in public and what they do for this person versus that person at this time, at that time, it's all for these selfish hidden motives rather than just in just simple, pure heart relationship. God's in control of my life. I want to do well. I want to do everything that I can do with excellence, but all for his glory. And again, then I get, then I get, I'm, I'm benefiting in all of those relationships as his, you know, as he leads the circumstance of my life. Not as men pleasers, not with eye service, but in sincerity, simplicity, uprightness of heart, fearing God, being, again, this is where it's constant attention on him and all of our relationships. So whatever you do, whatever you make, whatever the product uh, is that you are in effort and engaging, let that effort be with all of your soul, where as to the Lord, not to men. Because this is the reality. Where's your paycheck really come from? Even the dollars and cents that you get today, it is your provision that comes from God. And we turn to God and we say, thank you. You know, every time we sit at the table, there is, you know, I try and be short-winded at dinner prayers and not long-winded because I'm a long-winded prayer. But there's just this humble gratitude, like, thank you for my food. Do you know what a, have you, who's been into a foreign country and gone into a foreign grocery store where your options are really limited? And then you come to America and you go to like a super Target or super Walmart. Oh my goodness. We have so much variety here. You can get a strawberry in America anytime you want a strawberry. It doesn't matter what the season is because it's in season somewhere. Like that, it's just that our wealth is it's astonishing. But when I get to sit at the table, my wife's a good cook. Thank you for food that's full of flavor. And not only just it's the food, it's the conversation. I sit down with my wife every evening And give thanks to God for his provisions. And not just the food, the conversation, the relationships, what's going on that day, sitting down with my kids, 
you know, just pulling up the family around the dinner table, giving thanks. Why? Because God is the source behind all the dollars and cents. The roof that's over my head, the transportation to get me from point A to point B, the health insurance to pay for the medical bills that are necessary. He rewards me in this life according to his will. He tells me to be just as generous as he is in all things. All the decisions that we make, we make those things in with the rewards that he gives, whether this can be monetary things, this can, he, is, he may have rewarded you physically already that you can do things physically that other people can't. Maybe he's rewarded you with time, right? He gives us all of these benefits in our relationship with him, and what does he tell us to do with those things that he gives? To use them in service to him and to others. Just this open-handed heart of generosity in relationship with the Lord because our reward comes from him. And now you sit in, we can sit in our worldly rewards, but what's promised for eternity? Oh my. I'm middle-aged. We're sitting with some who are older aged in, in this room, who statistically are closer to seeing the Lord face to face than I am. But as a middle-aged man, I'm already watching my body decay. I'm not getting younger. I'm not, um, uh, I'm aging well, but I'm not, uh, uh, I'm corrupting, I'm decaying, right? Like this, this, this skin is decaying. It's not, adding benefits, right? It's, it's decomposing very, very slowly. And there's this communication to me, like, there's, my days are numbered by God. I don't know if I have one day left or a hundred days or a thousand days. I don't know how much time I have left, but my days are numbered. And here's the thing. Is that last day, when I take my last breath here, I step into our full inheritance of reward, of, of the simple act of responding to God as God, deserving none of it, but getting all of his benefits for all of eternity, this, this inheritance that we sit in, it is overwhelming. Again, John, as he's writing in, in 1 John, as he's communicating to the church, he's telling them that you know, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. I think that's, that's a different verse. But there's, there's this idea where um, this hope that we have, that we are going to see our God face to face one day, that there's an aspect of it that purifies us and refines us today, that keeps us clean, that keeps us aimed at the right goal, keeps us aimed in that right relationship with Jesus moment by moment, every single day, but especially, as Paul is addressing, when you are underneath the authority of another human being that every single one of us bucks at. We all buck at our, whoever our boss is. Our bosses, they're never 100% correct. They have their humanity and their personalities. And we're being encouraged by Paul and ultimately by the Holy Spirit that the work that you do day in and day out, it has been given to you as a gift by God. Now that gift that has been given, use it and whatever that looks like, always with all attention on him, realizing and remembering his attention is always on you and his attention on you is on you for your good, right? For your benefit. Because ultimately that benefit that he is leading you down day by day at the very end is an eternity in his image together with the body of Christ. Oh my. reward comes from him the reality is you serve you slave in all things for the lord jesus christ whether you do this for a paycheck whether you're doing this in the home whatever you find yourself doing serve for jesus but he who does wrong he who injures he who is unjust will be repaid in like kind, literally, it's he who does wrong will be 
repaid for the wrong he does. And the reality with God, there's no partiality, which means that God doesn't look at a circumstance and then pull off the photo album. Well, Blake's a good kid. We're, we're not, we're not going to talk about that. Julie, we're going to address her, right? God doesn't pull out the photo album and change his behavior and change his actions based upon who he is looking at in the face. He is without partiality. And again, as, he, as we stand before him, we are told that if we stand before him in Jesus, the face that he sees, the attributes, the imagery is his son. And the only other contrast is to stand before God outside of Jesus, and then what does he see? He sees all the sin. He sees all the decay. He sees all the rebellion. God judges and acts without partiality. So, masters, lords, employers, remember, you have a master in heaven. Keep that always before you, that as you're in a position of leadership, again, the Bible's really clear that as we lead we are not seeking that first position. We are not seeking to be great. If you are seeking to be great, then you seek to be the least and the servant of all. That is the example that Jesus has given to us. We always know and remember that the Lord, he is Lord. He is master. He is God. He is in control. Any authority that I have is underneath him, period, and always for him. So therefore, cause give cause to experience let your give to your bond servants what is what is just and fair you know that you're not taking advantage of shortchanging uh, using and manipulating your employees for your own personal gain but rewarding them for their service relationship with god continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving Here's this idea that the, to continue earnestly is Paul is communicating to the church and we communicate to each other. May you give yourself in wholehearted devotion to an ongoing conversation with the God who made you. That's what prayer is. It's just talking to God. To hold your place here, turn back to uh, Luke chapter 18 real quick. On Wednesday nights, we are traveling very slowly through the Gospel of Luke and our men's Bible study. In, in Luke 11, we have the disciples coming to Jesus and, and asking him to teach them how to pray. And there's that example of the Lord's Prayer. And after that, Jesus gives a couple of parables. One of them he's talking about, uh, you know, a friend that goes to another friend at midnight knocks on his door, hey, I've got some guests, give me some food so I can feed my guests. Again, the teaching there that Jesus is giving is for persistence in prayer. It was, uh, I looked this word up on Wednesday night, and this idea of persistence is cast aside all of your social conventions and just go running to God in boldness, like, right? We don't just pray when we're in this room. We don't just pray all, all in a stoic manner and how somebody has told you to pray with your hands folded and your head bowed and your eyes closed and those kinds of Cast all that side, cast all of those social conventions aside and run boldly to the throne of grace continually, day in and day out. Why? Who's your God? Like we just said, Jesus is the all in all. He created the heavens and the earth by himself, for himself, through himself. He's sovereign. He's Lord. Again, we, we sit in the wonder of who our creator is. And he invites each and every one of us. Come on, let's talk. And in the boldness of the prayer, the ask that we give, he tells us to ask for things that he has already promised to give to us. Why? It's not so that you can command God. It's so, ultimately, it's so that you can remember there is God promising to give to you everything that you need in Christ for your life always. What do you need today? In Jesus, it's yours. 
I have, I have a promise from God. This is specific. It's, it's, this was in my prayer time with the Lord as we're leaving Salt Lake. I was in Ezra. You know, we're, we're sitting in this whole idea that we're going to leave all, sell all, and go do what God has called us to do, sitting in a promise. Blake, I am sending you at the expense of my treasury. What do you need? I have it. And in that, if you lack anything, son, ask. I mean, this is, this is we don't treat God as the, as the genie in the bottle and gimme, 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 gimme. But we treat him as our father in heaven who loves us and knows that he knows all of our needs before we even ask. But he says, come and ask me. Come and have a conversation. Do you need wisdom today? Do you need a nap today? Do you need to know where you're going to be in life three months from now and you need to set some goals and strategy as you, as you plan ahead? As you commit your way to the Lord and you, you submit your understanding and your, all of your stuff to him and Lord, you drive, you take control, I trust that you are going to provide. Devote yourself continually earnestly to prayer set aside that time to have that private time in fact i have in my bible julie gave this to me yesterday biblical virtues to pray for your kids she got this from you know prayer meeting that she's having with other moms for fca and it's hey babe here's what the lord is having me pray for our children would you pray with me absolutely and I'm not only praying those things for my kids, I'm praying them for myself, I'm praying them for you, I'm praying them for her. Devote yourself on purpose, intentionally. Does your mind wander? Grab a pen, grab a pad of paper, and write it. Whatever works for you, devote yourself to prayer. Why? Because that will keep that constant, sweet-smelling incense rising up to the presence of your God. And your God is going to respond to you according to his will in your life. And he is going to lead you in those prayers as you converse with him. Incredible promises. So all that's in prayer. I took you here to Luke 18 for one sentence. Go ahead and read through the, the parable that Jesus gives for the first eight verses, but I want you to know where this is in the Bible because as Jesus is talking about prayer and he's given them a parable where men always ought to pray and not lose heart in that conversation with him, the question that he asks at the end, he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? I've always been challenged by that question because to me, Jesus is directly linking my conversation with him to my faith. When I come, Blake, am I really going to find faith in you? Or are you just doing this on your own? You just talk to me when you have the emergency? Or is there this constant, sweet-smelling relationship between me and you day in and day out? Again, this, this just gets back to the reality. Do I believe that I was created? Absolutely. I have no other options without a doubt. Do I believe that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead? Absolutely, without a doubt, because he has demonstrated that truth to me over time. He has spoken to me. He has told me to step out in faith where it, this circumstance is impossible outside of the miraculous supernatural intervention of a creator god i have had those events in my life where i am i have no doubt that god is so if god is all that he defines himself as oh god help me to constantly talk to you and trust you and have faith in you and yearn for you rather than nah god doesn't want to hear from me i don't think God gave that promise, yeah, but that's, that's for those other people. That's, that's unbelief. Yeah, there, there's a God out there, but he, you know, he, he, he cares about the super Christians. He doesn't, he doesn't care about nobody's like me. That's unbelief. He created you on I, I just, it's, it's, life is just, it's astonishing to me. 
What a, what a miracle it is that we have life. Go back to Colossians. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant, being awake and alert with thanksgiving. So many of the songs today, just this being in awake and alert in your relationship with the Lord, um, seeking him, again, petitioning him, but remembering in, in, in everything. Because, you know, when we're asking him for things, more often than not, we're asking for something that there's a, there's a lack, there's a need. So we never, we, as we're asking for things that we feel that we lack or that are lacking in another person's life, never forget everything that he has already been, that he has already provided. This is that heart of thanksgiving. Lord, thank you. And this contentment and peace, you have over abundantly beyond all that I could even ask or think of asking you for, you have already supplied for me. Yes, I have all these lacks, Lord, but wow, do I have so much gratitude for you. Not just for the stuff, but for you. I am not the same man that I was last week. I'm not the same man that I was a decade ago. He is changing me and transforming me every day. And right now, like I'm, a, I'm on the mountaintop. I'm just, in, I'm just in a good place in the Lord, in my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with my kids, in my job, here as a congregation. My life is so good. Yeah, there's a lot of yuck in the midst of it too, but thanks, Lord. I trust you with the yuck. Meanwhile, at the same time, I'll say, as you're praying, hey, mention some prayers for me too, would you? I'm asking that God would give to me an open door for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, to proclaim the gospel. That's exactly why I'm in chains. So don't forget my chains too. Don't forget my upcoming court dates. And would you seek God for me as you were devoting yourself to prayer, Paul? Here's, here's my prayer request. I'm not asking for freedom from chains. In fact, Paul says that he's, he's not a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's a prisoner of Christ. That's his perspective. And I'm not praying for freedom from this. I'm praying for an open door to proclaim the gospel to whoever God provides that will listen. That as I open my mouth and as I declare this mystery, this unveiling of Jesus that I'd be able to give to every man and every woman that's looking for an answer, that I'd be able to supply them with the answer from God, and boy, do I need prayer to do that, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, not speaking my own words, but speaking his words. Encouragement, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom not only within the body of Christ and all these relationships, walk in wisdom towards those who are on the outside redeeming, utilizing, buying back the time. Let your speech, let your words be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know what you ought to answer each one. Again, this is, this is a, a product of prayer. It's a product of being in the Word of God. It's a product of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us to give us wisdom. Wisdom in our conversation to people who are not believers. And that includes on social media. Redeeming the time, utilizing the time that God has given to you for his purposes in your life. The words that come out of your lips that are sourced in your heart. May they be with favor, with blessing, with grace, seasoned with salt. So, if you have... Uh, a stew that is handed to you and is a little bit bland, what do, you, what do you shake into your soup? Some salt. What does it do? It, it gives it some flavor. It makes it interesting. It makes it uh, appealing to the taste bud, right? So in regards to your speech, like, don't let your speech be covered with kale, right? <laughs> We're in the South. There's all different... Uh, kinds of barbecue sauce, right? Vinegar-based or tomato-based. There's all this sauce that we can put on top of our food that adds flavor. That your speech 
be seasoned with salt. Interesting, satisfying, flavorful, appealing to the audience that you're speaking to, rather than words that just make it, who wants to be a Christian? Right? And some people, some hearts can't do anything about that. Others has a very much to do with how you communicate the gospel. All right, here's a list of all these fellows. Tychicus mentioned in a few different places. Listen, listen to this guy, who this guy is for Paul. Tychicus, this guy's my beloved brother. He's, he's not just somebody in the body of Christ. This is Paul's friend. Faithful minister. As I've served Jesus with this man, he has demonstrated himself to be trustworthy. He is a fellow servant serving together in the Lord. And again, Paul is, he, he and Timothy have written this letter. And this is a day and age where you just don't go drop off a letter in the mailbox. Paul wants this letter to show up in that community. Our understanding is that Paul is in Rome, which is in Italy. Colossae is, is in the middle of Turkey. That's a long way to take a scroll. And you're not going to give it to a wingnut. You're going to give it to somebody that you trust, that has demonstrated faithfulness, right? And this isn't, he's not hiring a service to be done. Tychicus, he is a beloved brother. This is, this is my friend. And Paul's going to lose this face-to-face -face relationship as he sends Tychicus to them. There's a, there's a lot of trust. There's a lot of relationship. And as Paul is going to lose this personal contact with a, with a friend that he loves, why is he willing to send him? Because the community that Tychicus is going to go to, he's going to become their beloved friend. And he's going to minister to them faithfully. And he's going to be their fellow servant too. I mean, that's a, that's a tremendous amount of trust that Paul has in this man. We see him multiple times in the word. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances. He's going to be there to, to stand in your life, to get to know you, sit across the table, have, have lots of conversation. And he is going to comfort your heart. Why? Because he's going to point you to Jesus. And he's coming with Onesimus. His name means useful. He's a faithful and beloved brethren, brother. He is one of you. He's from this community. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. And again, this guy, Onesimus, he is owned by Philemon. And we're going to step in Paul's letter to that household next week. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Also in chains, the assumption is also for the gospel. With Mark, the cousin, cousin of Barnabas, says, about whom you received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. No idea what this other letter and how does Paul know that they've already received instructions about Mark. Again, there's a, there's a lot more relationships behind the scenes, a lot more letters than we have available to us. Verse 11, and Jesus, who was called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Remember I told you earlier, he said there's no longer Jew or Gentile, uncircumcised, circumcised, and now he brings up the category of the circumcised. What does he do that for? Because these, these are guys that he, he relates to. Part of, part of his culture and upbringing, part of his understanding in the Old Testament. There's going to be a different relationship that he had with Jewish believers and Jesus as the Messiah than Gentile believers as Jesus as the Messiah. There's a distinction, a uniqueness there that's real that he doesn't discount and brings it up. They have proved to be a comfort to me. And just to encourage you all, you know, thanks for not being a weird congregation. I mean, I, I sit in stories all the time, you know, just in relationships with other people. You hear their testimonies of all the weirdnesses that occur in the body of Christ. I can look at those of you who I know personally, there's not a single person in here that's been a discouragement and a discomfort to me. Your faith and who you are 
You bring a lot of comfort into my life, encouragement into my life. You come alongside of me and help me. Thank you. I love you, and I appreciate it. It's tremendous. That is, like I said, my life is good. I don't have a bunch of knives sticking out of my back that all these other pastors talk about. And don't stick a knife in my back. Don't start a new trend. Just tremendously blessed with the relationships in the body of Christ that I've served with. Verse 12, Epaphras. It's one of you. You mentioned him earlier in chapter 1. A bondservant of Christ. He greets you. This guy, he is always laboring. He is always fighting fervently for you in prayers. What's he asking? That you'd stand mature, perfect, and complete in all the will of God. Those are awesome prayers. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, a, a godly jealousy, a godly concern for you. And those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis, these, these three communities that are all close to one another. Luke, the beloved physician, writer of the Gospel of Luke there, writer of the book of Acts, Gentile believer, beloved physician, there with Paul in Rome, and Demas greets you. Demas, when Paul is writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, as Paul is getting ready to lose his head, it's the last letter that we have from him, Paul says that Demas left him because um, the world was more enticing for him at that moment. Don't know what that man's end was, but as Paul is at his end, he felt abandoned by Demas because he had his concerns for the world were greater than his concerns for the Lord. Verse 15, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Uh, some of your translations will say Nympha. Um, there is a question whether this individual is a man or woman. Most of the manuscript evidence would go towards Nympha, that, um, that this is a woman's home in whom the church is gathering. Verse 16, and now when the, this epistle is read among you, see... Make sure you do this. Make sure that it's read also in the church of the Laodiceans. So again, here's, here's an encouragement, not just for the church in Colossae, about 10 miles away. Make sure that the church in Laodicea reads this encouragement also. And there's a letter that was sent to the Laodiceans that we don't have, lost in history, not preserved for us, that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, Master of the horse is his name. Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Paul gives a signature in verse 18. This salutation by my own hand, Paul. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Let's pause, not pause, but let's end here in verse 17. And as we turn to prayer, as we turn to worship and communion and responding to the, what the Holy Spirit would be speaking to you this morning, each one of us receive these words from God. Take heed, see to it. Take heed to the ministry, to the service which you have received in the Lord, in Jesus, that you may fulfill it. God has created you, he has called you, he has handed to you all different roles, all different activities, that ministry that he has called you to, that you have received from him, that he has given and that you have received and taken to yourself. As much as it has to do with you, you see to the fulfillment of it. You be obedient in it. You be trusting and faithful in it. Receive that, that love and that grace from God. Receive that love from other brothers and sisters that you are loved in, in the family and the body of Christ. But be faithful in what God has directed you to do. And you know what he's wired you to do. You know what he's called you to do. And this isn't for, again, not with eye service, not as men pleasers. 
as the Lord has called you and created you, whether this is in your role in your household, your role here in the congregation, your role amongst those on the outside, in your workplace, whatever it is that he has given to you to do, trust in him, have faith in him, ask of him to give to you all that you need for his will in your life to be performed. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. And we offer ourselves to you. We offer our prayers to you, our minds, our mouths, our lives, as living sacrifices. We want our life to be a sweet-smelling fragrance to you, Lord. The fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of salvation, the fragrance of love and patience and tenderness and kindness. The fragrance of joy, the fragrance of, of prayer, Lord, of trusting you, of believing you. Thank you for this morning, Lord, for, for Hannah. Oh, to, hold, to hold a brand new life. A clean slate. A miracle. When I look around the room, Lord, and every single person in this room, they, we were there. And here we are today. That same precious life. Thank you for your constant reminders that you are our Father in heaven. And we are your children, created in your image on purpose. I give you thanks for today. I give you thanks for the men and the women and the kids who are here, Lord, my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for how you've allowed me to serve them. I give you thanks for, Lord, how you have caused them to walk alongside of me and how they've encouraged me, Lord. I thank you for all the smiles and the hugs and the tears. I thank you for the young lives and the old lives. I thank you for their trials and their struggles. I thank you for, Lord, in the midst of those fires, in the midst of those raging waves, how they've demonstrated your recreation in them, a new heart and a new life and a trust in you, Lord. There's their... Look at other people's circumstances, and sometimes they say, oh, my. You were always good. You were always God. You love us. Therefore, we love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.